Matthew chapter 25 is where we'll be this morning. Matthew 25. I want to put a plug in right now before I forget for tonight. Hope you'll make an effort to be here tonight. Uh, we have a very special speaker, and uh, Mr. Cody himself will emerge from the sound booth. He'll probably have to start out up there. Uh, he's going to give us an update tonight on the recent trip he took to Peru and uh, kind of tell us about some of the things he did working with EIM and some of the uh, excitement they had there. I don't want to spoil any of it. I have no clue what he's got planned, but maybe he'll show even some pictures of some of the exotic meals that he ate. And then you can close your eyes if you want to on that. But um, anyway, I want you to come back tonight. And uh, for that, and then we'll go down uh, to the prayer uh, walk together. But uh, I also want to say, before we get to our text, of course, one week from this Wednesday night, we launch our new Wednesday night children's program uh, that we're calling Kingdom Kids. And uh, you can walk around, especially back in the back part of the church back there. There's already been some decorations go up. You know, they've got these knights stuck to the wall. Martha, you've encountered them. They scared, they, they, I told them the other night, I said, somebody's going to have bullet holes in them before it's all said and done. You know, I'm up here during the week, I walk down the hall to, to go to the restroom, and I thought there's a grown man standing in the hallway down there, but it's just a sticker on the wall, but anyway, so, uh, but it's going to be uh, a great, great program. I want to tell you just a little bit about it before I get to the, to the sermon this morning. If you wonder, well, what's going to be different about it from Awana? Well, there'll be a lot different about it, but there'll also be some similarities. You know, they'll still have game time. Just like with Awana, they're going to use the game, the Awana game floor. Game time won't change. Uh, and then they'll have a time of, of music, and uh, Mary and Miranda are going to be doing that. They'll uh, learn some songs. Some of it is scripture set to music. And so just like Awana had the scripture memory, they'll memorize scripture by having it set to a tune. And I tell you, I, learn, I remember stuff a lot better that way than just doing rogue memorization. And so there'll be some of that. They'll learn some songs. They'll come in and sing for us every once in a while on a Sunday morning. But then the heart of Kingdom Kids is the Scripture and the teaching of the Word of God. We've got a curriculum that we're using for that called the Gospel Project from Lifeway. And uh, it is designed in such a way that, well, the way we'll use it, taking summers off, over the course of about four years, uh, these students will go through the entire Bible. Now, we're starting, uh, because of where they're at right now in the curriculum, we're starting kind of in the middle of the Gospels. But uh, over the course of four years, they'll go through the entire Scripture from Genesis to Revelation uh, in the course of all of their time in Kingdom Kids, uh, which they'll start, let me just say this, this year we have a three-year-old class. Starting next year, Kingdom Kids will start at four years old. And if they come from four years old and come every year through sixth grade, they'll go through the whole Bible twice if my math is right. And I've had other people check me on that, including Gina and Stephen's math. And so it's uh, working out pretty well. But uh, they'll go through the whole Bible twice if they're here for all of those years. And the most important thing we will do on Wednesday night, and everything we do on Wednesday night, just like everything we do on Sunday, will be to point those children to Jesus, and uh, that's going to be, I think it's going to be 
a good time. I think it's going to be a great program, and uh, we're looking forward to it. You know, a little bit of a change of pace, and uh, it's going to be a lot of excitement. But during our time together, this past Wednesday night, we had our Kingdom Kids worker training. And I had the opportunity to, to speak to them and to kind of challenge those workers from God's Word. And, and uh, you know, we talked about the fact that, that uh, some of these kids, the only place they ever see Jesus is he, I'm here. They don't get it at home. They're coming from unchurched homes, so we may be the only Jesus they ever see. Pray for our kingdom kids workers. Because, you know, starting now, even though we're still a week and a half out, start praying for them now that, that they'll be able to, to allow Jesus to reveal himself uh, through them to these kids. We talked about the fact we're called, you know, to be faithful, and these kids are watching us, and we talked about how no matter how insignificant of a role, we feel like we play every role is important. And as I thought about those things, as I was preparing that, I thought, you know, this is really something all the people in the church ought to hear. Guess what? I'm not repeating the same sermon that I had back there Wednesday night up here. So y'all are off the hook if you heard it once already, Kingdom Kids Workers. But we're going to look in Matthew 25 because really there's a question asked in this parable that we will read. The, the parable itself kind of asks the question to me, what are the things we ought to be doing? It's important to think about what should we be doing. So many times, so many people get this notion in church and they say, I don't want to go to church because all they talk about is all these things I should not be doing. We ought to focus a lot more time on what we should be doing, shouldn't we? And that's really what this parable is talking about, is are we doing the things Jesus has called us to do? I'll tell you, it comes right in the middle of uh, what scholars call the Olivet Discourse. Jesus is there on the Mount of Olives with his disciples, and uh, it starts back in Matthew 24, goes on through here, Matthew 25, and and Jesus spends the first part of this discussion with the disciples talking about the end times and the things that will lead up to his, to his, uh, his return and uh, all those sorts of things. But then he changes course about halfway through. And instead of talking about his return, he talks about the fact he's going to delay his return. And the things that they ought to be doing and translates down to the things that we ought to be doing as we await his return. There's so many days we probably find ourselves, like John, there at the end of the book of Revelation, he says, even so come, Lord Jesus. You know, we look around at how terrible the world is and say, wouldn't you just hurry up and come back? But the truth of the matter is, it's a fact that we'll see in this parable, he's coming back. Make no mistake about it, Jesus is coming back. But so far as he's, delayed his return, and we'll find out in this parable the reason he's done that is because there's still work to do. Let's read this parable together. As summer draws to a close, it's probably a good time to remind ourselves of the things we need to be doing. Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country, who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them, and to one he gave five talents to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money and 
After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents, and look, I've gained five more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also, who had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But the Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he, who will have a, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the timelessness of your word. I thank you for the parables that you give to us to help us understand how things work in your kingdom. And as we live each day seeking to be better citizens of your kingdom, I pray that this parable would speak to us and show us the things you'd have us to do. Remind us of our responsibilities that you've given us in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, before we get to our main point this morning, I think it's important that we make sure everybody's on the same page about this word, talent. All right? Uh, I remember uh, several years ago going through the Leadership Magnolia program, and we had this retreat that we had to go on before the year started, and, and they had a talent show. And I was thinking, what in the world is my talent going to be? You know, I can walk and chew gum, that sort of thing. But, um, you know, that's not the kind of talent that we're talking about here in the text. That's the way we may read it sometime, and we can certainly make application that that definition applies to this parable. But when we get to this, we're talking about uh, money. But it's not a coin, at least not one coin. A talent is a unit of measurement that they used. And so it depended on the metal of the coin as to how much a talent was worth. Now, in that day, you might have gold coins, silver coins, bronze coins, copper coins. So, the truth of the matter is, we really don't know how much this talent was worth. William Barclay, however, the Greek scholar and expert on this period in time, says that the, the most commonly used coin 
in Jesus' day was a silver coin. So we can, even though we don't know for sure, we can make a good guess that this was probably a talent of silver. You say, well, how much was that worth? Now, you ready? This is where you need to listen. Because this is where you start to realize this is a big deal, what's happening in this parable. One talent of silver was roughly equivalent to 15 years salary. So let's do some math. Okay, simple math, thankfully. I'll give you some more later that I pulled out a calculator for you. The one man gets five talents. That's 75 years worth of wages if we're basing it on 15 years. One gets two talents. That's 30 years wages. One gets one talent. That's 15 years wages. And you say, that's a lot of money. But still, sometimes I have a hard time understanding things unless we put it in modern-day terminology. So I got on the Internet and I looked up the U.S. Census Bureau because the government always tells us the truth. And 2021 Columbia County median household income was $41,115. Now, that's not the average. That's the median, right in the middle. $41,115. Now, let's say... We base our talents off of that. 75 years wages, five talents at $41,115 would be $3,083,625. That's how much we can say the first guy was given, if we're using today's terminology in Columbia County. The second guy, two talents, 30 years, was given $1.23 million. The third guy, 15 years, one talent, $616,725. You say, uh, that's a lot of money. Begins to put things into perspective here. This guy, he's given this to his servants to manage. He trusts them with this kind of money, with this large of a sum of money. And I, I know what you're thinking, one of two things. You're saying, I wish somebody would give me even 15 years' worth of my income. Okay? Well, he didn't give it to him to keep. He gave it to him to manage. And another thing you may be thinking is, well, that really doesn't apply to me because I've never been entrusted with that kind of responsibility. And if that's what you're thinking, you've missed the point. Because as we see, the illustration deals with the here and now. The illustration deals with how we use what God has given us as servants in his kingdom, how we use that, how we manage that until he comes back. Because that's the thing. It's a parable. It's an illustration about how things work in the kingdom of God. The man here uh, who is uh, traveling to a far country that's representative of God himself. That's representative of Jesus Christ. The servants, the slaves, that's us. If you're saved by the blood of Jesus, that's you. That's me. So what in the world does any of this parable mean? How does it apply to us? What are these talents that he's given us? It could be any number of things. It could be, we could be dealing with money. Did you know every dime you have, you only have because God allows you to have it? You know, it, we could be talking about a God-given talent or ability in the way we think about a talent. 
We could be thinking about the time God gifts us with. And we come to the first point of the text, and that's that God gives each one differing gifts. Whatever the gifts are, God gives to each one differing amounts. You and I may have some of the same gifts. He may give me the same thing he gives you. He may give some of you sitting out there amongst yourself different, I mean, give you the same gifts. But just because he gives you the same gift doesn't mean he gives you the same amount of the gift. That's what the parable tells us. The parable is clear. The man did not distribute the talents equally among the three. Why not give them the same thing? Why not take this? Well, let's see. We'll do math on the fly. We had 75 and 30. That's 105. Add another 15. We had 120 years worth of wages. Is that right, Miss Levita? Uh, that's right. So divide that by three. He could give them all 40 years wages apiece. But that's not what he did, did he? What does it say here in the text in verse 15? It says that he gave five talents to uh, one, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability. In other words, he knew how much each one could handle. He knew the one who received the least couldn't handle 75 years worth of wages. Side note, if you've been praying to God to send you more money or more something else, if he hadn't, maybe the reason is because he's watched how you handle what he's given you, and he don't like the way you're handling it, so... Maybe until you straighten that up, he ain't gonna answer, he's not going to give you what you're asking for. But that's another sermon for another time. Let's get back to what this story is about. He knows what they can handle. Remember how this, the thing starts. He says, the kingdom of heaven works like this. This is about the economy of the kingdom of heaven. And you say, well, we're still on earth. Well, you remember what Jesus said when he taught the disciples how to pray. What's part of that prayer? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, Jesus taught us that we ought to pray that the kingdom comes here. That we be able to experience the kingdom here before we ever get there. So everything we do here is in light of how the kingdom works. So that's why we say this parable applies now. We don't have to wait till we get to heaven to operate the way the kingdom operates. We shouldn't wait till we get to heaven. The slaves, like I said, are those like you and me. If you're saved by the blood of Jesus, Paul knew he was a slave. He said that so many times in the opening of his letters. He'd say, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. In Romans 6:18, he wrote, Having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. You're a slave Jesus Christ. That's the way we ought to operate. Elsewhere in Paul's writing, he's very clear about how God treats his slaves. Romans 12, 6 through 8. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that's given to us, let us use them. You hear that? That's how God treats his slaves. He gives us gifts. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who, sows with mer I mean, he, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. And then over in 1 Corinthians 12, 4, Paul says there's a diversity of gifts. 
So these lists we find in Scripture of the gifts God gives us, that's just a very limited showing. There's a diversity of gifts. And there in 1 Corinthians 12, he goes on to describe the church as a body. And he says, we all have different roles. We all play different roles using the differing gifts that he's given us to advance his kingdom agenda on this earth. It's a beautiful thing when it all comes together. How does he decide who gets what? You say, boy, she can sing. I really wish I could sing like that. Well, maybe God didn't give you that gift. Don't covet her gift or his gift or whatever. Find your gift. Determine what he's given you. You're never happier than when you're using the gift God's given you to do what he's called you to do. And he's called us all to do something using our gift. There's not a soul on earth who knows our abilities, our talents, our opportunities, or our circumstances better than the one who created us. And he gave us the gifts that he knew we could handle. He gave to each one according to our abilities. Second thing we need to see, and this is where it gets even more serious, he holds us all to the same standard. You look in the text. You know, he gave one five talents, one two talents, one a single talent. Look in verse 19. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. Now, you remember how this went. So he, uh, so he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I've gained five more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I've gained two more talents beside them. His Lord said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been uh, faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. I'm going to stop there uh, for just a minute because there's some similarities here. There's some big differences. Okay? The first fellow got five talents. The master comes back, he hands him ten talents. The second one got two talents. The master comes back, he gives him four talents. Now you say they had the same return on investment. You know, they doubled their money. Well, there's a big difference between 150 years' worth of salary and 60 years' worth of salary. But with God, it's not about how much is gained. It's about the effort we put in to get the return. God measures effort because guess what? He's the one who's responsible for the increase. He judges us by our effort. Verse 16 here, there's a word. It says, uh, and he traded with them. Now, we don't use the word traded as much as they did a generation or two ago you know, they said they went down to the store and traded, right? They did some shopping. They'd call it trading, that sort of thing. They'd trade, I guess they'd trade their money. They'd barter, do that sort of thing. This word traded here, the original Greek word that uh, is translated traded here means labor expending effort. So he didn't go down to Edward Jones with these five talents and say, stick this in a mutual fund and then when the master came back, went and cashed it out. No, this fellow was working hard every day to be as industrious as possible 
and do all he could to make sure there was a good return on the master's money. The stuff that the master had entrusted him with was in good hands as he worked hard to get the master the best return that he could. And great effort produced great results, which, left, which led to that exceedingly excellent reward when he said, well done, good and faithful servant. Boy, isn't that what we all long to hear? Did you notice that well done came to the two servants who worked hard to use the gifts God had given them while he was away. That's who got the well done. Not the one who just made it to see the master when he returned. It's the one who was faithful while the master was away. Because he was faithful. These two guys were faithful. The master rewarded them greatly. And like I said a minute ago, the, this principle is clear in Scripture. That it's God who brings the increase. 1 Corinthians 3, 5-8, through 8, Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believe. Can you imagine that? The Apostle Paul. The great, probably the greatest evangelist of all time wrote over half the New Testament. Whereas probably, you know, if you were to trace back Paul, his writings, responsible for more salvations than probably anybody else's. Paul said, I'm nobody. I'm just a minister. That's all I am. He said, who's Paul and who's Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So neither he who plants is anything or he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants... And he who waters are one, listen to this, and each one will receive his own reward according to his labor. See, God's rewards are based on our faithfulness to serve. God's given each and every believer gifts to use to grow the kingdom of God. The question is, are we using them? Romans 8 is clear that um, there's no condemnation for those who are saved. If you're saved, God will never condemn you. But as we read on in the book of Romans, we find out there will be a time of reckoning. Romans 14.10-12 through 12 says, For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, Every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to me, so then each of us shall give an account of himself for God, or to God. The master showed up and called the servants and said, give an account of the things I trusted you with while I was gone. One day me and you will stand before Jesus Christ He'll say, give an account of the things I entrusted to you while I was gone. After we get finished, boy, I hope he says, well done. Don't you? Make us think about what we're doing every day. You know, the gifts he gives us, 
this comes down to a whole lot more than money. You know, our time really is one of the biggest gifts he gives us. He gives us the gift of family. He gives us the gift of, uh, of being able to raise kids in the nurture and admonition of God. And if you're a parent, just know we're going to be held accountable. When we stand before Jesus Christ, he's going to hold us accountable for the way we raise our children. Work is a gift from God. You say, I got to work hard and I've built my business. I've done these things. And Deuteronomy 8.18 says, it's God who gives you the ability to produce wealth. That's a gift from God. Our natural abilities, our God-given talents, the list goes on and on. James 1.17 says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Translation, if there's something good in your life, it came from God. There's no other source. But there's a greater risk than misusing what God gave you to manage. The greatest risk, and the final point this morning, the greatest risk is to do nothing at all. That's what happened with this third fellow. We get to verse 24. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given. And he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Pay close attention for a second. Because I need to confess something. I want to be brutally honest with you. I struggled with this section of the passage more than I've struggled with any passage I've preached in a long time. Especially verse 30. Because... Elsewhere in Scripture, elsewhere in the book of Matthew, elsewhere in other places, we find that phrase, weeping and gnashing of teeth, as descriptive of what happens in hell. But I don't believe that's what's happening here. This is not a picture of hell. I pulled every commentary I have on Matthew off my shelves. I got online and looked at commentaries that I have access to online. Nobody agreed on this. So, so many said different things. But we go back to the beginning of the parable. And it says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called what? His own servants. These are his. These are his servants. And we read the scripture and we know based on Scripture 
that you can't lose your salvation. John 10, 28 says, Jesus is talking about those who are His, and He says, no one can snatch my sheep out of my hand. Once we are in the hand of Jesus, once we are saved, there is nothing that can cause us to lose our salvation. If we say this parable deals with a salvation issue, we've changed salvation. Because now we're claiming salvation is based on performance. It's not. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in your heart God's raised Him from the dead. You'll be saved. No performance factor about it. I saw this just this morning. I shared on Facebook a quote from Adrian Rogers. If I get it right, that's good. If not, I'll try to get it as close as possible. He said, there's no one bad enough they cannot be saved, and no one so good they need not be saved. Performance does not have anything to do with salvation. That's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. These people he called his servants. They're his. That's you and me if you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior. So we get down here to the end and we say, what's this deal about outer darkness? The weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, I'd submit to you that when the man failed to use what God had given him to bring glory to God, he was disobedient. See, this isn't a matter of salvation. This is a matter of obedience. And when we are disobedient to God, we, we lose fellowship with God. But 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Our fellowship's restored. Warren Wearsby puts it this way. He says, The outer darkness in this text need not refer to hell. The man was dealt with by the Lord and he lost his opportunity for service, and he gained no praise or reward. To me, that is outer darkness. Well, the darkest place a Christian can be is outside the will of God. Another thing I've heard Dr. Adrian Rogers say time and time again as I've listened to his preaching, he says the most miserable man in America is not a man who's lost. The most miserable man is the one who's saved and out of fellowship with God. That's you this morning, maybe. I don't know. When it comes down to the parable, the main point is this. Work hard with those things that the Lord's blessed you with. Because one thing we know 100% certain is that He's coming back. The Master in the parable returned. Jesus is telling the story of Himself. He's coming back. John chapter 14, verse 1, He said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going to prepare a place for you, and if I go, you hear this, I will come again. He didn't say, I might come. He didn't say, if you're good. He said, I will come. Come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus is coming again. What's he going to find us doing when he gets here? 
I'm going to prepare for our invitation, but when we stand before Jesus, because we will stand before Jesus, no ifs, ands, or buts about it, he's going to say, provide an account for the things that I blessed you with. What are we going to be able to tell him we've done? Here's a better question. Are you going to be there in the first place? Because those who will stand before Jesus at that judgment are those who are saved. There's a different judgment for those who are not. Later in John 14, he said, I am the way. There's no other way to heaven. Jesus is the way. Today's the day of salvation. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, today's the day you need to do it. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in your heart God's raised him from the dead. You'll be saved. Romans 10, 13, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Doesn't matter how bad you think you are or how good you think you are, you need Jesus, and he's willing to save you. Today's the day. Today's the day to recommit to being a good steward of those things he's trusted you with. I don't know what the Lord's laid on your heart this morning, but whatever it is, would you take care of that as we stand and sing?